0: Well, praise the Lord. Hope Bible Church, Ottawa, such a precious, precious time of worship together. It's good to be back in the house of the Lord. Amen? It's good to be back in the house of the Lord. Let's open up our Bibles to John chapter 18. John chapter 18, verses 1 to 11. So excited for the significance of this night that we get to come together and launch into our new series that, Lord willing, will take us through Easter up until the end of May, and that is the series of the Gospel of John. The Gospel... Of John. Now, for those of you who may not have been in this church for the last four years, let me bring you up to date here. Um, We started this series, John chapter 1, verse 1, three years ago. Three years ago, 2019, started at John 1 1. And then over the last three years, we've been going verse by verse, line by line, through this incredible gospel. All right, part one, part two, part three, and so if you need to get caught up on that, here's what I want you to do. I want you to log onto our website, go into the sermon archive, and listen to all the sermons from the last three years on John before next week, so you're all caught up, okay? Yeah, bring it on, all right? Just listen to them all this week, and you'll be all caught up coming in next Saturday. Why? Because this is part four, the finale Part four, and it's entitled, get this, such a good word for our day, The Triumphant King. The Triumphant King. And it's going to encompass, Lord willing, chapters 18 to 21. Hey, I got good news for you. Good news. Hey, 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 loved ones, you ready for some good news? Just put your hand up if you're ready for some good news. Okay, here's some good news. Ready, ready? Over every fear you have over every piece of darkness in this world, over every government and ruler and kingdom and authority, over every part of this pandemic, over every war that has happened, is happening, or will happen, over every trial you and I face, over every sin struggle you and I have. Ready? Jesus has overcome it. I'm going to say that again. Let's do a louder amen than that. Jesus has overcome it. Amen. Amen. He has overcome it. He has triumphed over it. He has triumphed and he has and is sovereignly, hey, take comfort, sovereignly ruling and reigning in power. That's great news. That's great news. Jesus is the sovereign savior. Now, to make sure we're all on the same page when we talk about sovereignty, let's get the idea. You'll see it on the screen. Uh, Theologian Wayne Grudem defines it this way, and it's very good. He says sovereignty, write this down, is God's exercise of power over his creation. God's sovereignty is his exercise of power over his creation. It is literally, get this sovereignty of God, providence of God, God having supreme power. That's good news supreme power over all things and is working them out, out of his grace, out of his mercy, by his patience, by true justice, by his love. Listen, he's working all things out for his glory and for the good of those who love him. And that, the sovereignty of Jesus Christ is the focus of, of chapters 18 to 21, and then no kidding John needed to make it the focus, depending on what's coming up and what's happening to Jesus and to his disciples. Now, why is it so important that we lock in on this sermon series at this time? You just see the sovereignty of God all over it in the timing of it, because there's a problem, loved ones. There's a problem that you face today, that I face today, and that we will face tomorrow and the day after many times a day. And here's the problem. It's called our unbelief. A problem we face day in, day out, moment by moment, is our unbelief. What do you mean by that? <clears throat> Here it is. We struggle to truly believe that Jesus has triumphed over all. Did anyone struggle with that? As you go through these last two years, as you see the death and devastation that is happening in our world right now, how about even in our own city a month ago and all the events that were going on, did you struggle to believe that Jesus was truly ruling and reigning? Yeah. So did I. So did I. And that he's sovereign. And, and, and like what we'll see from the apostle Peter here, we fight against the sovereignty of God. Sometimes in the name of serving God, as we'll see right from Peter here, we fight against his sovereignty. See, we may, here's the thing. <clears throat> as Christians, we get really good at this. We may acknowledge the sovereignty and the triumph of Jesus with our lips. Yes, Jesus, you're overall. We can sing that. You're overall. But as we look around and we see and even experience personally the confusion, the anger, the wars, the death, the division, the chaos, and we start to feel the weariness of anyone feeling weary of all that's going on, The weariness, we experience the hardship, the struggle, and things don't go our way. Here it is. We often struggle to believe in God's good plan and purposes, don't we? His timing and His way of doing things. And we put our trust, we put our hope, we put our faith in other things. And what's the result of turning from the sovereign Savior and putting our hope in all these other things that this world tells us to? Here's the result. Just look around, look in your life and mine fear, not faith. Anxiety and worry and not peace. Doubt instead of hope. Grumbling, negativity. Complaining instead of our lips. Proclaiming grace and love and humility. Despair instead of joy. Division instead of unity. It's all over the place, isn't it? But I want to encourage us with this, loved ones, wherever you're at on that spectrum tonight, I wanna encourage us with this. You two kids, here's the big idea of this message and really it's the big idea of this whole series. Write this down, lock this in, put it on your Post-it note, put it on a cue card in your vehicle or on your lock screen on your phone. Ready? Write it down. Jesus is sovereign over all and can't be stopped. I'll say it again. Jesus is sovereign over all and cannot be stopped. You must believe in him. You must believe in him. You know, not just declaring it on our lips, but living it out by faith in his power in our lives. All right. You ready to dive in? Book, Gospel of John. Let's get some context. Let's bring everybody up to snuff of where we are. Gospel of John. The Apostle John, he wrote this book between 80 and 90 AD. Talk about an eyewitness. This is about 50 years after Jesus' earthly ministry. And it's a few years before he wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John and Revelation. Now, who was John? John was one of those three most intimate disciples of Jesus, and he was an eyewitness to Jesus' three-year earthly ministry. He was an eyewitness to Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. Now, here's here's the thing. John wrote this gospel. The gospel of John is different from every other gospel. Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Those are the synoptic gospels. Synoptic means one lens. John's gospel is unique from that. He wrote it to supplement and complement the synoptic Gospels. And it contains, as we saw through the entire Upper Room Discourse, as one example, it contains a lot of information not found in the other Gospels, as we will see today and in the coming weeks again. And so the Gospel of John focuses on the last three years of Jesus' life. Now, what is the purpose of John? You will see it right here. John spells it out for us. John 20, 31, it says this. But these are written, talking about the work of Christ, the signs of Christ, the word of Christ, the teaching of Jesus, the actions. He goes, these are written so that, he wrote them down in the Gospel of John under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, so that you may believe you may have faith that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. No matter what's going on around us, no matter the time or the century or the place, that you would have life in his name. Praise the Lord. See, and you may say, well, wait a second, I've I've received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. If you're here and you've made that personal decision to follow him, well, let me encourage you with this, loved ones the book of john is not just evangelistic in purpose but it is actually an apologetic as well it is an apologetic in defending the person and work of jesus christ so let's let's look at where we've come from part 1 in the gospel of john chapters one to four that we unpacked, the theme was Jesus Introduced. You'll see it on the screen. Jesus Introduced, chapters one to four. Write this down so you can map your way through. These first four chapters introduced who Christ was as the Word of God, right from John 1.1. The Word was with God. The Word, capital W, name of Jesus Christ, was God. He was God and he became flesh, John 1.14. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, the Incarnation. He was identified as the Lamb of God by his cousin, the forerunner of the Messiah, John the Baptist. He says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And we saw in these first four chapters, it was the start of Jesus' public ministry. He performed his first two signs, turning the water into wine, healing the official son. It was the first two of the seven signs or miracles that he did to show who he was as the son of God. And Jesus begins to teach publicly. And that leads us to part two, which is, okay, Jesus is on the scene, he's introduced, Uh, Jesus is rejected. Didn't take long, did it? Jesus is rejected, chapters five to seven. He is rejected as he increasingly reveals his lordship to the people, from the leaders in Israel, the religious leaders, and others. And so he's doing various signs that point to his lordship. Some of the signs included in this section, it's called the Book of Signs, chapters 2 to 12. Some of the signs are included walking on the water, feeding the 5,000, healing the man at Bethesda. All right, And then we get to part three, which is Jesus confirmed. And that's where we just came from, from last year. Chapters 8 to 17. Jesus confirmed. He's confirming his identity in this section as the Messiah, the Son of God. Why? Most of the I am statements that Jesus makes are contained in this section. He says, I am the light of the world. I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I'm the resurrection of life. I am the way and the truth to life. He's confirming his identity, and he gives the farewell discourse on top of that, only found in John. And that leads us to today. Leads us to today, part four, chapters 18 to 21, the climax of the entire book. Everything's been pointed to this, and it is Jesus triumphant. Jesus triumphant. And this section is focused on his path to the cross, his death, burial, and resurrection. And here's the cool, here's something amazing, ready? How each part of this How each step to the cross has been planned out and is controlled by Jesus himself out of his sovereignty over all things. Let's do this. You guys ready? Ready, loved ones? Just say, I'm ready. Let's go. All right, here we are in our context. We're in Jerusalem, and it's Thursday night of the Passion Week. You say, what's the Passion Week? It's the last week of Christ's life, okay? Thursday night of the Passion Week, it's the night before his crucifixion, the night before Good Friday. And Jesus here is just hours away from his arrest, his trial, and his crucifixion. And now, here it is, his hour has come. All throughout the book of John he 's saying, "My time is not yet come, my hour is not yet come, My hour is not yet here." And now he says, "My hour' has come. His hour to be glorified, His hour to be crucified has come." And so here we are at the festival of Passover. And you see Jesus' timing in all this, because as the Lamb of God, he 's specifically marching to the cross so that at the exact time the Passover lambs are being slaughtered, he would be crucified. incredible. Now let's look at the festival of Passover. What is this? Just bring it up to date. Re- this Passover festival was used to remember how God delivered Israel from slavery in Egypt. And so Jerusalem, picture it, love them, picture it. Jerusalem right now is packed with like 600,000 to a million people. Every male, 12 plus in all, out of all of Israel And around the Roman Empire was coming to Jerusalem for Passover. It was the biggest of the major festivals. And Jesus has just finished having supper, the Last Supper, with his disciples in the upper room. You'll see it on the screen there. See, there it is. There's the upper room, and there's what it looks like on the inside. He's been sitting in here with them from chapters 13 to 17. And he's used this intimate dinner with them to prepare them for his death, resurrection, and the time after his ascension to teach them and us how to live faithfully on mission for him after his departure. Now the tone, what's the tone, right? Because whenever you read the here, Bible reading 101, eyes up here. Whenever you read the text, you need to get the tone of the text. All right, the tone of the text. So what tone is happening here? It's an ominous tone ominous tone. Why? Because there's a manhunt going on. Jesus is a wanted man. The religious leaders are coming after him numero uno. They've been hunting him down since John 11. He's a wanted man. And Judas, if you remember from chapter 13, Judas has left dinner after Jesus said, that Judas was going to betray him. Remember, Jesus washed Judas's feet, and then he dipped the morsel in the cup and gave it to him as a sign of honor to try to love Judas, to love him well to the end. And Judas gets up, and Jesus says, what you're about to do, do quickly. And Judas leaves. And the disciples are just downright confused. They don't know what to expect, but they know something's up. And here in the text, in the middle of all this, and all that's about to happen, we see the unstoppable power and sovereignty of Jesus and two truths, ready? Two truths that we must increasingly believe about him and his triumph over death if we are to have life in his name and live by faith and not fear in living on mission for him and see his kingdom advance for his glory. Hey, can I ask you a question? Eyes up here. Is anyone here tired of living in fear? Are you tired of the crippling anxiety? Are you tired of the fear of the future? The fear of what's happening? Let's tune in right now. Let's stand. Let's honor the authority of God's word. John chapter 18, we're gonna read this together. Hey kids, John chapter 18, starting at verse one, let me hear your voices, praise the Lord. Let's get into it. John chapter 18, verse one, the betrayal and arrest of Jesus. You ready? Nice and loud, Hope, let's go. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the brook Kidron, where there was a garden, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. Of those whom you gave me, I have lost not one. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup? The Father has given me. Incredible text. And all God's people said, amen. amen. You may be seated. So good to read scripture together. All right, get your pens ready. Here we go, Hope. Fear not. Say that with me. Fear not. Fear not. Jesus is the sovereign savior who has a plan And you can't stop it. Fear not, loved ones. Jesus is the sovereign savior who has a plan. Everyone say, he has a plan. He has a plan and you can't stop it. And here's some great news for our hearts tonight. Jesus will accomplish his plan in his way. Will you trust him? Jesus will accomplish his good plan in his way. Will you trust him? Go back to verse 1 for a sec. Watch this. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the brook Kidron, where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. See there? After Jesus finishes his teaching for the disciples and he prays for them in John 13 to 17, he leads them, minus Judas. Don't forget, Judas left. Minus Judas, out of the upper room, out of Jerusalem, down the east slope, by the temple, and across the Kidron Valley. Now, what's the Kidron Valley? This is a ravine that separates the old city, the temple, from the Mount of Olives. You'll see it on the screen, right there. This is what it looks like in... Jerusalem you've got the Temple Mount that's where the temple is and then it goes down there's the Kidron Valley and there's the Mount of Olives right there and you see those trees on there that is the Garden of Gethsemane Okay so here's the journey that's being taken now now <clears throat> here's the thing he heads into this garden as we know from the Gospels, Matthew and Mark, it's not mentioned here, but Matthew and Mark say it's the Garden of Gethsemane. Do you know what the word, something really cool, they say Jesus doesn't do random? Go. Do, you, do you, know what, you know what Gethsemane means? Oil press. He's about to get pressed. His disciples are about to get pressed. And it is a garden that is filled with olive trees. It's an olive grove. And why is he going here? Why does he go here? Well, we don't hear why fully in this part, but Matthew, Mark, and Luke fill in some details for us. He's going there to pray. Jesus is going there to pray before being arrested, put on trial, and going to the cross. And Jesus, if you remember from the other gospels, if you've read them, Jesus is agonizing in prayer here about going to the cross. That beautiful prayer he prays, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. And then our hope is sealed right here. Yet not my will, but yours be done. And actually Luke, who's a physician, that's amazing how God used uh, people to write his word and use their personalities and experiences. It's called verbal plenary inspiration. Listen, listen. He uses Luke, who's a doctor, And Luke says, Jesus was sweating like blood. He's agonizing. And what are his disciples doing while he's agonizing? They're taking a nap. They didn't make it. They're taking a nap. And then notice this. While he's agonizing in prayer, this happens. Remember the ominous tone? It's about to get a lot more ominous. Look at 2 to 6. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place. For Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. See how the scene's unfolding here? Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. That's awkward. When Jesus said to them, I am he, look what happens. Look what happens. They drew back and fell to the ground. Awesome. Watch this. While Jesus is there with his disciples, Judas shows up with a band, get this, with a, oh, hey, by the way, check out the Garden of Gethsemane. These are just beautiful pics. I forgot to cue you on this. There's the garden today, the Garden of Gethsemane. Lord willing, when Hope Ottawa takes its trip to Israel, we'll walk through those paths. Huh? Come on. That's what I'm talking about. There it is. Garden of Gethsemane, right there for you. And so, as beautiful as that looks, it's nighttime, and then Judas shows up with his band or mob of Roman soldiers. And notice the priests, the the, the, the chief priests um, police, if you will, the temple police. That's the officers from the chief priests. Now he shows up with a cohort of soldiers. A Roman cohort could be up to a thousand soldiers. Most likely it's between two and 600 here, okay? So Judas isn't playing around. They're expecting resistance, all right? And don't forget, these chief priests who send these guys, they've wanted to kill Jesus since John 11. Why? Because he's been claiming to be the Messiah, God himself, and so many people, the most dreaded fear of the Pharisees, people are flocking to him and leaving the Pharisees' influence and they hated giving up their glory. And what do these guys do? Look at the screen there. They show up with clubs, they show up with swords, and they're expecting a fight from Jesus and his disciples. And I want you to notice, every time I say this, we're gonna repeat this, we need to understand this. Notice this, Jesus has a plan, go. Jesus has a plan, plan and he, listen, (laughs) he's orchestrating, did you catch it in that text? He's orchestrating all of these events by his sovereignty according to his timing and way. Jesus is not surprised when these guys show up. Jesus is not caught off guard. It's not like Jesus didn't know the opposition was coming. It's not like Jesus didn't know a war was going to break out. It's not like Jesus didn't know this already. He knows all that will happen. He is the one orchestrating all the events by his power and sovereignty and is in incomplete control over it. He has a plan and nothing could stop it. You say, well, wait a second. How do you know this from the text? Well, good question. I'm glad you asked. Ready to see it? Notice notice where it goes. Go back to verse two. Now Judas who betrayed him also knew the place for Jesus often met there with his disciples. Hey, Question. Out of all the places, if there's a manhunt for your life, out of all the places he could have taken the disciples, where does he choose to take them? To the very place he knew Judas would know to look. It's not a coincidence. He could have run back up to Nazareth, he could have crossed the Jordan and been gone. Where does he go? to the hangout that Judas knew where he would be and lead all of these guys with him. If he's trying to avoid the authorities, he's not going to Gethsemane. But, loved ones, be encouraged. Jesus is not avoiding the authorities. He's engaging them. He's engaging them because he's on a divine timetable and knew it needed to happen at this time if he was going to be crucified the next day as he had planned before the foundation of the world. This is why in verses 4 to 6, if you read the text, it said that, circle this in verse 4, Jesus knew all that would happen to him. Just circle that and be encouraged with his omniscience. That means his knowing of all things, his sovereignty and power, knowing all that would happen to him. I know I'm going to go into the garden. I know Judas is coming with his thugs, and I know they're going to arrest me because I'm allowing them to do it. He knows all that would happen to him. And and here's the thing about the word know. The Greek word there is gnosis, which means not just, yeah, I know I'm gonna die, but I don't kind of know how that's all gonna happen and work out. Listen, it means to know very intimately every detail of every step of the way. Awesome. Hey, can we rest in the sovereignty of our Savior right now? Let faith overcome fear. Say, Lord, increase my faith. Increase my faith. He intimately knows each part of the whole. And because of this, notice what he does in 4-6. to He comes forward and starts interrogating the soldiers. Notice this. The soldiers are coming to arrest him, interrogate him. Jesus turns the tables. He's the one interrogating them now. Did you see the questions he starts to ask? These guys aren't in control. Jesus is in control. He starts interrogating them. Notice what he asks right there, verse 4. He says, hey, whom do you seek? And you may say, well, wait a second, doesn't he already know who they're seeing? Yeah, he does, but there's a purpose. We'll get to that in a sec. He says, who do you seek? And after the soldiers answer, Jesus of Nazareth, look at this, Jesus responds by telling them he is who they're looking for. Notice the term, circle it, just before the word Judas in verse five. He says, I am he. I am he. Now, that is so significant. Circle it up, the word the term I am is actually a name. The Greek word there means ego, like Lego my ego, right? Right. But it's ego, a me. Ego, a me means I am. What did Jesus declare right there? I am God. I am Yahweh. I am the one who absolutely is grace. I am the one who absolutely has authority and power and sovereignty. I am the one who is the standard of mercy and love and true justice. I am God. And look at the response of these soldiers. Did you see it? Go back to the text. It's incredible. Verse six. It says when Jesus said to them I am he what do they do they drew back that means they withdrew and they fell to the ground Sorry sorry who's in control here clubs and spears armies military sorry who's in control Jesus is in control Jesus is in control they fall backwards with the force and authority and power of his words and i want us to notice something here it gets back right to our jonah series it latches on to that you see what happened in the power of three of jesus words an entire cohort of roman soldiers just hits the deck it was really in control it's not the officers See, live in the text, church. Jesus declares in no uncertain terms right here, I am he. He says, I am God. I am in sovereign control over every single part of this and every single part of what's coming next. Here's what he's saying right here in that statement. You will only arrest me because I'm allowing you to do it according to my plan. Oh, and by the way, I'm giving you the breath to do it right now. And I'm giving you the strength to arrest me right now. And if I want you to hit the deck, you're going to hit the deck. I'm only allowing you to do this because it's my plan that you do. Everyone say, Jesus has the final say. And I want you to look around today, church, and I pray you're so encouraged with this. Look at this. Look around at all that's happening. Start in your life first, in your parenting. You're like, man, I'm just at the end of my rope. I love my kids, but I'm just at the end of my I don't know what to do. Or maybe you have a prodigal child, and they just seem to be walking away from the faith and all the things you're trying to bring them up in, in the training and instruction of the Lord. They just keep walking away. Or you're like, oh, my parents, they're not, they're not saved. And what are they going to, listen, listen, listen to me. Maybe this is your marriage, too. Maybe you're like, the fighting won't stop. The tension is just there. Or it's the trial you're going through, the job issue, the sin issue. Or, or let's go beyond ourselves. It's so good to look beyond ourselves. Look around at this city and this world. Wars, the death, the devastation, the sickness. And I want to encourage you with this. Jesus is still Sovereign. He's still sovereignly ruling and reigning with all power and authority and in total control. And here it is. He didn't just create the world and then kind of exited himself and say, you guys go figure it out. He is intimately aware, listen, of the who, the where, the why, the when, and the how of every situation. Here, he has a plan. Say it with me. He has a plan. And you can't stop it. Rest, friend. Rest. Just rest. Just right now. Just close your eyes. And just rest. That you have a sovereign king who loves you. And if you're saved in him, is working all that you read about and you hear about and you experience for your good and his glory. Rest. Just say, Jesus, help me to rest in you. Help me to find my rest. Our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you, Augustine said. Lord, help us to rest. And right there in this moment, Look at this beautiful verse. He says to his children If you're saved in Jesus Christ, this is his word for you today. He says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. Faith in the sovereign Savior. See, Jesus will accomplish his plan in his way. Question for you and I, will you trust him? That he intimately sees and knows each part of where you're at tonight. He intimately sees and knows of each part of where you're at and the burdens of your heart And the situations that are tempting you to fear or become anxious or angry or impatient or tempting you to want to control that situation or doubt in his goodness and sovereignty. Hey, question, what area or areas do you need to bring before him tonight? Right here, right where you're sitting, bring before him by humbling yourself, casting them on him and saying, Lord, forgive me for my unbelief in you with, what is it? What is it? What's the situation? Lord, forgive my unbelief. The anxiety starts to creep in, and I just have to try to do my own thing, and I'm getting fearful. Listen, increase my faith. Increase my faith right there and confidence in you that you are triumphant. You are ruling and reigning, have all authority and power, and you are advancing your kingdom and working all things together for your glory and out of your love for me. And remember the words of our Savior right here. John 14, 27, you'll see them on the screen. Remember this. Let these penetrate your heart right now. Peace, Jesus says, I leave with you. Peace, I leave with you. My Peace I give to you, not as the world gives, do I give to you? It's not a fleeting peace. It's not one that is going to be peaceful until the next situation breaks out or the next sickness hits the news or the next job situation when you don't lose it. Listen, he says, My peace surpasses all of that. It's not as the world gives. It's My peace is available to you whether you get the house or not, whether you get the car or not, whether you have a job or not, whether there's wars or not. My peace is available all times and all things. He says, I do not give that to you like the world does. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Don't be afraid. Rest. Submit. He says, I've overcome. I am triumphant over what you face and what you fear. I'm triumphant, he says. Praise the Lord. See, fear not, loved ones. Jesus is the sovereign savior who has a plan and you can't stop it. It's a good plan. Out of his love, For us, and here's what this means for us. Because we know Jesus is sovereign, watch this. We can live boldly and confidently on mission in these days, knowing, last point is this, that he is the Savior who fulfills his word. Because he's sovereign, Jesus will fulfill his word. Don't doubt it. Don't doubt it. But what about all this? I didn't know that 21st century. Don't doubt it. What about a panda? Don't doubt it. What about the war? Don't doubt it. What about my job? Don't doubt it. What about this truck? Don't doubt it. My health situation? Don't doubt it. Are we getting the picture? Everyone say, I can't doubt it. He fulfills his word. He will fulfill every part of his word. Will you believe and stand firm? Will you believe and stand firm? See here in verses 7 to 11, after the soldiers fall to the ground and things start to escalate. Did you hear that before when we read it? They're starting to escalate. And on the surface, it looks as though things are spiraling out of control. Does that sound familiar today? On the surface, it seems like like things are spiraling out of control. But here's some great news for us, loved ones. They're not. They're not. Jesus has a plan, and he has been, is, and will continue to fulfill his word to accomplishment here in this text, and here today in our lives, in us and through us as we follow him by his power at work in us. Don't doubt it. Stand firm. And here we see two truths of what it means for us today that we must stand firm upon and ask daily, Daily, loved ones, for the faith to believe and not doubt if we are to live boldly and confidently on mission for him, no matter what's going on. Ready? Don't doubt the word. Get your pens ready. Here it is. Don't doubt. Don't doubt Jesus' protection. Don't doubt his protection over you if you are his child. Look at verses 7 to 9. He says this. So he, that is Jesus asked them again, Whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus answered, I told you that I'm he. So if you seek me, notice what he's doing? Let these men go. Let them go. This was to fulfill the word. To fulfill the word that he'd spoken of those whom you gave me, I have not lost one. See, can you imagine the scene? This whole Roman cohort is on their backs. And as they're stumbling around trying to get up, look at Jesus ask them the question again. He says, whom do you seek? Now you say, wait a second. Why does he ask this if he knows everything? Here's why. You see it in the text. Right here, did you catch it? See, Jesus knew that they were already after him. But he's asking them in order to protect and preserve the disciples. See what he's doing there? He's protecting and preserving the disciples by making it crystal clear that the soldiers had no authority to arrest them. Because Jesus didn't give them the authority to do it. He's protecting them. And he, notice the command. Now Jesus is commanding. He commands them to let them go. Verse eight. Did you see it? He commands them to let them go. And why does he do this? We find out in verse nine. Just walk through the text. Verse nine, because Jesus promised in his word, he promised in his word that he would not lose even one of the disciples except for Judas, who was devoted, who was called the son of destruction. It was part of his plan. Jesus was not gonna lose any of the disciples and would keep them safe and their faith intact so they would not fall away. And you say, okay, you got proof for that? Remember, remember, don't just take my word for it. Open your Bibles and look where this is coming from. John 17, 12. There's the first one. John 17, 12. Here's another promise he made. John 6, 39. Here's another one. John 10:28. You want me to keep going? You get in the picture? Jesus promised that he would protect. His disciples. Now, here's the picture that's being painted here in the text. Their physical preservation and protection was symbolizing their spiritual preservation and protection that Jesus had promised them. Hey, question Have you ever felt in the last two years? Have you ever felt maybe in the last two days or the last month? You've been afraid that your faith is failing. Your faith is failing. Like I, am just struggling with so much doubt right now. I don't know if I can trust you. That health issue that you're going. You ever feel like your faith is failing? Here's some great news for you, right from God's word, for all who have repented of their sin and confessed Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Here's what that means for us today. Um, he promised to hold us fast. If you are truly saved in Jesus Christ, he will hold you fast. He will not let your faith fail. He will not let you run away and do all of these other things apart from him. No matter what's going on around us, no matter what's happening to us or in us, he will hold us fast and protect us in our faith and finish the good work he started in us. Loved ones, don't doubt his word. He fulfilled it here. He's not going to break it now. Philippians 1 6, you don't believe me? Watch this. Just let your heart be ministered to right now on the screen. And I'm sure of this, Paul writes, I'm sure of it, that he who began a good work in you, oh, here's the promise again, will bring it to completion. At the day of Jesus Christ, your faith will not fail. Here's another one. 1 Corinthians ten thirteen. You might say, well, the temptation is so strong. The temptation to run, the temptation to sin. Watch this. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. Here, rest assured. God is faithful, loved one. God is faithful, and he will, there's a promise, he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, here's another promise, he will also provide the way of escape, what? That you may be able to endure it. What does that mean? That your faith may not fail. Want some more? Let's go. Minister. Isaiah 41.10. I love how he says this. Fear not, loved one, for I am with you. Do not, be not dismayed, for I am your God. Remember who I am. I will, promise, strengthen you. I will help you, and I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Your faith will not fail. Well, I sustain it. Okay, last one. Romans 8, 35, and then 37 to 39. Watch this. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation... Or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger and sword. Look at, look at 37. No, in all these things, no matter what's going on, listen, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Through him who loved us, for I am sure, oh, there's the same language as Philippians 1, for I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, that's a great time for an amen, will be able to separate us from the love of Christ Jesus, our Lord, amen? Let the word of God just minister to your heart right now your faith will not fail while God sustains it. You may doubt a little, you may struggle with that. He's not gonna let you go. He's not gonna let you go. And one of my favorite songs, I wasn't gonna do this and then we were worshiping and I was like, you know what? I need to do this. I wanna encourage you with this. One of my favorite worship songs. We're not gonna sing it tonight, but Lord willing soon. Close your eyes. I wanna read this as a testimony for you. Here it is. It's called, He Will Hold Me Fast. Just rest. When I fear my faith will fail, Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, he will hold me fast. I could never keep my hold through life's fearful path. For my love is often cold. He must hold me fast. He will hold me fast. He will hold me fast. For my Savior loves me so. He will hold me fast. Those He saves are His delight. Christ will hold me fast. Precious in His holy sight. He will hold me fast. He'll not let my soul be lost. His promises shall last bought by him at such a cost he will hold me fast for my life he bled and died christ will hold me fast justice has been satisfied he will hold me fast raised to him to endless raised with him to endless life he will hold me fast till our faith is turned to sight When he comes at last. You want to sing this chorus with me? If you know it, let's go. He will hold me fast. He will hold me fast. For my Savior loves me so. He will hold me fast. Will you believe and stand firm? Loved ones, don't doubt Jesus' protection of your faith. And here's the second thing we see as we close out. Don't doubt his direction either. Don't doubt his protection. Don't doubt his direction. Look at verses uh, 10 and 11, how he finishes here. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword in its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup the father has given me? See, Peter, in an act of misguided emotion—oh, Peter, gotta love him, huh? We resonate with him quite a bit these days, don't we? Peter, Peter, love you, love you. Peter, in an act of misguided emotion and a lack of understanding of what Jesus had been telling him earlier, of how he needed to go to the cross— he sees the situation. Peter's like, uh-oh, I see the clubs. I see the spears. I see the lanterns. I see Judas. I, and we're totally outnumbered. There it is. Here it is. His eyes are on the horizontal. He's like, we're totally outnumbered. Where are we going to escape? What are we going to do? What are we gonna, how do I handle this? I mean, does this sound familiar? What do I do? What do I, this looks really bad according to my perspective. According to what I can see. I, uh-oh, I need to... Instead of trusting Christ's word and following him in the direction God was leading him, notice what he does? Peter doesn't like how things look, and he takes matters into his own hands. Peter's like, God's not coming through. I better take charge. Does that sound familiar? I got to take matters into my own hands because from what I can see, everything's spiraling out of control. It's going bad. And what does he do? Just look at the text. The result is he takes out a sword It's not like one of these huge stars, like a dagger, okay? You could put it under your cloak, all right? So Peter takes out a dagger, and he cuts off the ear of Malchus, who is the high priest's servant. Now, most likely, Peter's going for Malchus's head. But Malchus, he ducks out of the way. Peter gets his ear. He gets his ear, and notice he's ready to fight. He's like, I'm ready to fight. I'm fighting for Jesus. I'm fighting for God, I'm taking the stand. Taking out the sword. Notice the rebuke. Verse 11. Go back to the text. Don't miss this. He says, put your sword away, Peter. Put it away. He says, shall I not drink the cup the Father's given me? Look what he's saying right there. Peter You are resisting the will of God right now. Stop trying to fight. An earthly, fleshly battle. You are resisting the will of God right now. I've allowed this. I'm sovereign. I've got a direction for how this is supposed to go. Take your sword, put it in its sheath, and bow the knee. You're resisting the will of God by trying to take charge and take matters into your own hands. How many of us just need to hear that right now? We're trying to take charge, our time, our way, from what we can see. You are resisting the will of God. You're hindering the mission of God that I've been given by my father to drink his cup. You say, what cup? The cup of God's wrath to be poured out for sin, if Peter had his way, Jesus wouldn't have gone to the cross. That would have not gone well for us, would it? He says, you're you're resisting the will of God for me to go to the cross, pay the penalty for your sin and the sin of the world, and fulfill God's plan for salvation. He said, Peter, this has been my word to you all along. I told you my hour is coming. You need to trust in my direction. I'm not wanting you to fight this way for me. I'm not wanting you to fight this way for me. I want you to submit to me and trust me that I see the whole picture. You want me to go to the cross. You don't see it. I do, Peter. Thanks for the effort. Put your sword away. Hey, question for us Where are you and I, like Peter, resisting the Lord? By trying to take matters into our own hands. Instead of waiting on him, we rush into decisions as we see how the world seems to be spiraling out of control, just like Peter's world is spiraling out of control. Are we trying to take matters into our own? I'm hitting social media. I'm taking out that sword. I'm taking it out on the person who doesn't agree with me. I'm canceling them right out. I'm taking that sword out. I'm going for the head. Where are you and I resisting the will of God? because things don't look like we want them to. Put the sword down and take a knee, loved one, me too. He has a plan. Fight on your knees in prayer. The battle belongs to him. You may say, I can't see how following God's word, his direction's gonna help. I need to take charge. I g- gotta do what I or this world think is right. I gotta do what my emotions, here's Peter, being driven by his emotions. I gotta do what my emotions and feelings are telling me, not God's word. Listen, listen, feelings are great followers, but they're horrible leaders. Where do you need to humble yourself under his word and repent of going your own way and follow and Say, Lord, I trust you. I love how Psalm 119:105 talking about God's word says this, "Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path." See what that means? Following God's word is the only safe path in this life. There's only one light that overcomes the darkness. Following God's direction in every situation at all times, it's the only right direction and it will always prove true. His word will prove true. Fear not. Where do you need to put away your sword? And abide. Because Jesus is the sovereign savior who has a plan and you can't stop it. He fulfills his word. Don't doubt it. But believe and stand firm and you will see the salvation of the Lord. Amen? And loved ones, it's only fitting. Worship team's going to come up here. And it's only fitting that we respond to this text by coming to the Lord's table in remembrance of his death on the cross for us and taking part in communion of how our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ fulfilled God's word and accomplished God's plan of salvation by drinking the cup of God's wrath on our behalf. And there are two elements that we remember Christ's death with Number one is the bread, the bread which represents his body. You can go ahead and start to open that up, representing his body which was crushed beyond recognition. And the second element is the juice, the juice representing the blood that was shed over every sin that we ever have or will ever commit, that we may walk in victory over sin and walk in freedom in our new life in him. But this is a sacred moment here, Hope Ottawa. This is a sacred moment. We don't come to the communion table lightly. In fact, we are called to examine ourselves. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-eight and 29, the Apostle Paul says this, Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. We're called to come with clean hands and pure hearts before the Lord, repenting of all our known sin before him. And as the Holy Spirit is led in this message, even casting these on the Lord, say, Jesus, forgive me. Thank you for your cleansing work in my life, that you are faithful and just to forgive me and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. So in these next few moments, just really quiet. Hey, kids, hey, kids, really quiet, really quiet. And just say, search me, O God, and know my heart, and test my anxious thoughts. And see where the offensive ways are in me. Where have I been drawing the sword when I need to be taking a knee? Where have I not been trusting in your plan? And I want to control. I want to I do things my way. I want my privileges. I want this. I don't want to trust your direction, God, that you've brought me here. That if I humble myself, I and mean, you will show your glory. I don't want to resist you. Lead me in the way everlasting. And as the Lord reveals these things in our heart, loved ones, take time to confess and repent of them. Let's come. Come to the table and repent of these in the quietness of your heart so that today when you hear his voice, you're not hardening your heart all across this room. And if you're here and you've never repented of your sin and confessed Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I want to say two things to you. Number one, I'm so glad you're here. It is not by accident that God has brought you here. But the table of communion is for only those who who have confessed Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and repented of their sin. And if that's not you, then I encourage you, don't take the elements today. Don't take the elements. And afterwards, come on up, and myself or some of our other leaders would love to know how to pray with you and talk to you more about what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. All right, let's take a few moments right now to examine